Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Listeners, Kevin, today we are talking about how you listeners can deal with scale, what goes into building a team, the tools, the operations, and of course, how that relates to your marketing function. We are deep into season five of the B2B Playbook podcast. It's our podcast that shares with you our 5Bs framework, which is our way of generating demand. We're sharing it with you step-by-step, episode-by-episode. We're well over 100 episodes. We spent the first four seasons getting through, I guess, the bulk of the content, Kev. Our first three seasons were be ready, be helpful, be seen. Last season, we spoke about how marketers can be better. And this season, we're speaking about be the best. Kevin, what is be the best all about? Well, George, be the best is all about exploring what makes you and your marketing stay evergreen and continue to be leaders in your industry and in your career. And in doing so, we hope that you see the 5Bs framework become a more circular process and one that continues to deliver improvements for you, your marketing, your marketing function and your career. And today, as George said, we're talking about dealing with scale. Now, we don't purport to be experts here. In fact, we're learning a lot of this in our own careers as we go and as we move through different stages of scale ourselves on the B2B uh, podcast, on the B2B playbook and the incubator. But having both worked with a range of businesses and seen varying methods of dealing with growing pains within marketing departments of different scales, we wanted to share some of our thoughts here as you may embark on this journey yourself very soon. In particular, our bottom line philosophy that we hope to pass on is that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
But if it is broke, don't leave it for too long. Yeah, stick around for this episode, marketers. Uh, Kevin has thought more deeply about this than most. And it might not be, you know, really, really direct marketing advice, but it's going to be advice that's going to help you in your day-to-day job in doing your marketing, help you plan things a little bit better, help you get buy-in a little better, which really relieves that sense of anxiety, I think, that drives so many of us, at least for me anyway. So much of that anxiety comes from when there's a misalignment between what you're doing and what the expectations are from those around you. And so that's why I'm very excited to get into this episode. Kev, just to recap where we've been in the last four seasons of the B2B Playbook, as we mentioned, first season was be ready, uh, the second be helpful, the third be seen, and the fourth be better. Now, those four Bs hopefully set you up for success by ensuring that you really deeply understand your dream customers, which is in be ready. You then created content that was super helpful to them, which started to really build a relationship of trust online and position you as the go-to expert. That was be helpful. And then amplify your helpful content to the right people and accelerate your growth in Be Seen. Last season, we spoke about optimizing your B2B marketing workflow to maximize your impact and be better. And Kev, as you said, we're right now in Be The Best, which is all about exploring what you and your marketing needs to do to stay evergreen and continue to be leaders in your industry. Okay, Kev, you said this week we're going to deal with scale. As we said, we're not full-on experts here. We've definitely had our fair share of experiences in scaling businesses and in particular, what it's like to be within the marketing team in those businesses, which so many of our listeners are in that position. What can you tell us, Kev, about dealing with scale? Well, George, let's dive straight in. Um, Dealing with scale, as we said, we're really hoping in this episode to share a little bit of our experience and the experiences that we've heard around us about what it's like to be in those marketing teams within scaling businesses. Some aspects we've spoken about indirectly already, but we'll go over everything at a high level today and share some of those examples from our own experience. And in covering this topic, we'll first talk about why it's important to turn your mind to this aspect of your marketing machine. Uh, So a little bit about why we're even talking about this, as George said, within a framework that's really talking about building your B2B marketing demand generation engine. Why are we dedicating a bit of time to talk about scale? And then we're going to look at aspects of that, including building a team, sorting out your marketing stack, marketing operations and data management, and finally, even cross-functional collaboration. So first off, why is it important that we consider how you're dealing with scale? Scale, I think, if you're lucky to achieve it, is something that we generally have a tendency to expect to naturally be able to deal with. We hope naturally as we scale, we'll adapt to the size, we'll put in processes that are relevant as they come up. And that is true to an extent, but when things are moving really quickly, when you're really hitting that scale, the the upward end of the exponential curve, you'll soon find that you're spending more time fixing issues that arise from trying to apply solutions that you've made before that have worked on a smaller scale to a much bigger use case and not actually doing the groundbreaking work that you really want to be. So it's actually important to realize that when things are in fact broken, then it's important to deal with it before it gets out of hand. And that is uh, where our philosophy comes from, that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it is broke, fix it soon. Cautionary tale here, just to illustrate the point, as our team, George and I's team, grew on the agency side, we continued to rely on team catch-ups to keep track of what everyone was doing and their capacity at first. So that was probably 
quite a few months where we stuck to an old system that we had in place, which is very easy to do when it was two, three, even four people. But as we got to six, seven, eight people in the team, we really started to lack that visibility on what the bottlenecks were uh, for our whole team. And it took up a lot of time to either fix those bottlenecks, to find them in the first place, fix them. And then we had the same problem over and over again because we didn't have that process in place to share some of that knowledge. And so finally, we implemented some very simple time tracking for our team, actually came across the wider business. So we had that visibility on what people were working on. And we also started to streamline some of the client management processes, which whether that was reporting or templates for reporting emails, things like that, we started to streamline a lot of the processes that initially were bottlenecks that we picked up through our time tracking. And we realized we were probably saving maybe at least 50% of our time on repetitive tasks that could have been automated and we ended up automating within a few days. And we did those automations and built some of those simple tracking tools for future tasks and were able to drastically reduce not only the time spent, but also things like error rates, repeated training uh, for new team members, And also in turn, that allowed us to scale the amount of work that we could do, that we could undertake for our clients and even take on more clients. So all that said, again, if you realize that something is broken, make sure to do something about it. Part of having, and part of that is to have time to simply consider if things are in fact broken. We tend to get bogged down into the weeds and we don't get a chance to look up. So that's another task to add to your quarterly or biannually marketing function reviews that we've asked you to set up right at the beginning of the season to look at your direction, to go back through the framework. One more for the list, I think it's the third point for that checklist event. Um, But the third one is uh, definitely to have a look at your processes, have a look at how your team is working within the marketing function and see if you actually need to dedicate some time to improve those processes. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, It's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, I have mixed feelings, Kevin, about that time uh, when we were together in the agency. I was the first person to come into your team and it was just the two of us. And I think things worked pretty well because, I mean, look, you and I, I think we have a similar work ethic. We were also career changers. We'd both come from a career in law. You know, we started in marketing a little bit later than the people around us. And I think you and I both felt like we needed to play catch up. And we're both the kind of people who like to tinker and figure stuff out and go that extra mile, I suppose. Uh, but that kind of meant that while it was just the two of us, we probably didn't need to go through and do all that documenting. You and I had a lot of shared understanding. We worked a very similar way. But once people started adding to our team, uh, 
um, who might have been a little bit different to us or just at a different stage in their career, uh, you're absolutely right. We needed to start getting that knowledge out of our brains and into a system. And I love that period because, you know, you let me do some of that automating too. And I really got into my Google Sheets formulas and just became pretty (laughs) obsessed with it. I remember you did too. But God, it just saved so much time in the future, didn't it? When we had those templates all set, when we had those checklists to just run through, it definitely matches my personality too. I like to have those checklists to keep me on task or I can get distracted by the next shiny object pretty quickly. Yeah, and there's a lot of obviously business um, philosophies and material on this sort of thing. A common thing is you don't want to rely on having an all-stars team. You want to rely on an all-stars process that an average team can execute at an all-star level. And a lot of things that we were trying to do started to go in that direction because as we scale, not saying we didn't have an all-star team, we certainly did, but to make that life just a bit easier for everyone, we needed to have a look at how we were dealing with scale. And so that's just a quick cautionary tale, not to waste too much time for our listeners. You need to remember to keep scale in mind as you do your quarterly reviews. And Kevin, like that's a key pain point that I hear from so many of our marketers, particularly those who sign up and want to join the B2B incubator is not having any systems documented. Part of our program is we, it's a forcing function. It makes marketers document their marketing strategy. It makes them document their demand creation, their content strategy, every single process inside. We make you write it down. And the reason for that is, look, you're a lonely in-house marketer. You've got so much to do. But until you get these processes down on paper, written down step-by-step, no one can help you do it. You can't insource it, you can't outsource it, and you'll forever be struggling to have enough time to get anything done. And so I know it's something that you guys feel, and that's why I'm really glad that we're dealing with it in this episode, Kevin, as well. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like the rest of the playbook, like the rest of the framework, we try and bake a lot of these key concepts and helpful things into the process, into the programs, into the frameworks, so that if you follow it, if you go through it, hopefully you'll already be started on that journey um, quite a long way as well. So let's jump into the first aspect of dealing with scale that we mentioned before. And there's a few aspects here, so we might actually have to make this a two-parter, George, but the first one is building a team. There's a lot of nuance here, but we'll share a few scenarios and our learnings from them. So the first one we'll look at is growing an in-house team. Things like team planning, interviewing, mentoring, and even change to management can be quite a shock for a lot of us in a small marketing team that then starts to grow. So in team planning, often the work dictates what resources are needed, but we also need to take the view that you should probably consider what your objectives are and what your dream customers actually need to then be better aligned with that when you're planning your team as well. So my personal experience here is to be open to a wide diversity of different possibilities. Some of the best performers that have joined our previous teams have been quite different from us. So as George mentioned before, as the team started to grow, we started to get people that were very different from us with us life stage, career stage, or way of thinking and working and interests. So think less about your own preferences as you start to build a team. You really need to start to focus in on your dream customers. One higher intel team actually got on really well with the personalities of our fashion clients and our more FMCG clients. 
And we just had to empower her with the necessary skills and support to thrive in that role. And she very quickly took on the lead role in those uh, in those client relationships. And we were able to give a lot of responsibility to her. We just had to empower her learning on a technical side or building processes for her. So she can really quickly scale there within those relationships. So that's one personal example of when you're looking at team building as you're scaling an in-house team, don't be prejudiced by your own preferences. Focus in on what your dream customers need, what they need to function really well, and then look for the best performance to fit that role. And Kev, look, as you said, there's really endless materials on interviewing and mentoring and management. You and I uh, have always, I guess, abided by really just trying to be transparent, listen to feedback as much as possible, meet the thoughts and needs of our team. And look, sometimes also understand that it's not the right opportunity to make someone think for themselves. You and I had this experience and I felt this in particular. I just assumed that everyone loved to figure stuff out themselves because that's the way I love to learn. I love for someone to say, hey, George, you're destination A, get to destination B. I don't care how you get there, just get there. And that really excites me. I love that journey of trying to figure out and map my own way versus a very prescriptive method, which is probably a little bit more what they would teach you in school of here's exactly the stops that you need to get on the way. These are the exact streets. This is the car you need to get into. You know, this is the accelerator. This is the brake, like all those details. And I just didn't realize in particular, Kevin, that some people like to learn that way. And I thought that I was going to be a great manager straight off the bat because I guess I thought that I trusted people to get the job down however they wanted. But we very quickly found out that was not the case for quite a few people in our team. And so I think that really comes back to figuring out for our listeners, as you're adding people to our team, are they the kind of person that likes to get from destination to destination B all on their own, or do they want something prescriptive step-by-step? Step? One is not necessarily better than the other. If we've got a list of tasks we want done, then, you know, both work. But I think people need to figure that out. Yeah, definitely, George. And I think you probably uh, spoiled me when you joined my team as a first-time manager. We obviously think very alike. As you said, you like to figure out things and tinker yourself. So it made it very easy for me in my first experience to expect all other experiences to be quite similar. <laughs> but as you said, very different. We just happened to be very similar backgrounds when we started working together. And so listeners, one of the first things you should consider is what's the right experience? What's the right needs for your particular team member? There's a coaching model where the first step, the very most important step that a lot of people miss in doing coaching or mentoring is they actually need to assess whether it's actually a coaching opportunity. So if someone is quite junior or haven't had experience doing anything, you actually just need to tell them what to do because the first time they're doing it, they probably have no idea how to do it and you can pass on some of the learnings and give them a framework so that they can get started and just encourage them to ask questions over time. Maybe that's the right approach for certain people. And as George said, maybe someone like him would be a little different. You just need to give him destination A, destination B, and let them add it. But just focus in on your team's individual career aspirations and figure out what's best for them. An analogy here is it's a bit like dating. So you need to let them show their true selves. And that means they'll have a higher chance of not necessarily being the perfect fit for your team or even the business that you're in, but 
if they are able to find the true selves, if they're able to more quickly show that, you can help them figure out what the perfect fit is for them. And then that's less time wasted by everyone in moving them towards something that's better suited for both your team and for them as an individual. This is something we've learned again, the hard way in a few of our early hires when they were clearly not as interested in the work that we were doing. But in showing them support, you'll hopefully be able to support them in seeking new opportunities even. And that's really the best thing you can do for them and for yourself and your team as well. Just make sure that you treat everyone like a human. You really take a focus in on the individual career aspirations and figure out what's the best fit for them. And I guess it is a little bit like dating, but that isn't to say date your coworkers. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> totally not. Horrible, horrible idea. <laughs> Look, <laughs> it's very important to realize that as you start to build that team, more and more of your time should be dedicated to leading and mentoring the team. Kev, as our team grew to six or seven people, we realized that the majority of our efforts are really better served being leaders, inspiring and guiding the team rather than trying to do everything ourselves, which can be a little bit challenging because you and I both do like to get in the weeds every now and then. We do like to be on the tools, but we just realized that that time is better spent building processes for that team to follow. Hence, I guess the philosophy behind so much of our framework and why we were able to do something like plan 100 episodes in advance of the podcast even starting because we so believed in frameworks and processes by the time we got around to doing it. You and I were really a roadblock if we were half in, half out of the technical work because no one really knew where we were up to. And I guess we just needed to trust our team to hold up their end and know that if we gave them the right framework and the right process and the support when they needed it, that they'd be okay. That's exactly right. It's a very important aspect of that scaling the team. As George said, we went from doing everything ourselves to that middle stage where we needed to be building processes to be able to pass on. And then even in the later stage, when a lot of those processes were in place, we needed to actually just accept that 80, 90, 100% of the time sometimes was just leading the team and making sure that they could carry on in their own way. Okay, Kev, let's talk about finding and managing external freelancers and agencies. So many things that our listeners have to deal with. And look, we know that it's never easy to find true partners in these cases. Sometimes it's not economically possible in-house though to do every single marketing function and this case if you do have to find an agency we do encourage you to look for very transparent partners who don't do things like you know not give you access to your own accounts or reporting would also really look for partners who really try and question things at a strategic level and really try and understand your business objectives and goals. You know, not just focus on metrics and budgets and tactics alone. But that shows that they're truly interested in delivering value, not just looking to go into cruise control after onboarding is done. And I think so many agencies become unstuck here, Kevin, because most largely deal with B2C companies. They land a couple of B2B ones. They promise that they can get you tons of leads. And yeah, they do get you tons of leads because they help you create a gated piece of content. They run ads to it. You get all these leads, but so few turn into opportunities, pipeline, and actual revenue. And so then the value isn't there. And the reason for that is, look, they're meeting their objectives of trying to get you those leads. That's what they said they do, but they're not tying it all the way through 
to your business objectives, which is, hey, we actually need good opportunities for sales here and we need revenue. And I think it's a common pain point that we hear from businesses that have worked with agencies before. And certainly our key indicator for whether an agency will be good, at least one of them that we like to look into is whether they do do that questioning of your business objectives. Do they really try and understand what your business is about and what your USPs are and how to really drive that home to your dream customers? Do they really understand your dream customers? Because if that's the case, then they're already on the path to figuring out the right approach to your particular business and not just applying a cookie cutter approach. Otherwise, if we're looking at freelancers, really our only guideline here is similar to agencies, have a look at whether they're really getting invested in your business direction, but make sure that communication with those freelancers, it's treated as if they're part-time employees. There shouldn't really be a difference. You won't be able to get that full respect and buy-in if you don't have that relationship with them for them to do the work that you want them to do. This is something I've personally experienced in managing SEO freelancers. Everyone wants to feel part of the team. If you build that process in where they feel like they're part of the team, they're part of the business and mission, and that doesn't take a lot really when it comes to freelancers to provide that extra care and attention, then that really ensures a much better result and experience for everyone involved. Very good, Kevin. Okay, listeners, key takeaways for today. Number one is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if it is broke, please don't leave it for too long. You know, that's the guiding principle because if you leave it for a while, the problem will only get bigger. Trust me, I've tried to let it go away and it doesn't. The second key takeaway is, look, there's more takeaways to follow next week when we address the rest of the discussion on dealing with scale. So sorry to leave you a little bit short there today. Okay, Kevin, listeners, thank you so much again. Look, as always, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And we're so grateful that each week, more and more marketers tune in every Monday morning to the B2B Playbook podcast. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show onto someone who you think would get value from it. Also, make sure you check us out on YouTube, like, subscribe, do all of that stuff. It's a huge help to us and we'd really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, listeners. Take care and catch you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. Catch you all next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. 